for all that I will say, for all that we may hear. May God be praised. Amen. Eight years ago this Sunday, I delivered my first sermon as rector of my previous parish in San Diego. It was Sunday, July 4th, and as I opened my mouth to speak, not with a Southern Californian drawl, but with the Queen's English, I think some of the congregation checked in with the bishop later that day to be sure it wasn't his idea of a practical joke. So here we are again, folks, almost July 4th, and another Englishman is standing before you. One who is still new enough to Atlanta to not yet be sure what a boondoggle really is. If God does indeed have a sense of humor, at least we know it's consistent. Maybe the next rector of all saints will be a Canadian. <laughs> There's a lot to be said about America a lot of the time. And the last thing any of you need is someone who grew up in England's green and pleasant land to add yet more verbosity to what is already an overstated case, whichever way you're making it. As Voltaire said, the secret to being a bore is to say everything. Yet I do want to say something, if I may, about myself as an American, as an immigrant born and raised elsewhere, yet having chosen to make this country my home. I offer then this morning something of an immigrant's tale, one that weaves its way in and out of the greater American story, which itself resonates with our gospel reading this morning so very readily. That this is a place where there is room for the promise of hope. As I imagine practically any migrant who has settled in this country could tell you, the dream of America is one whose seeds are planted early on. Go almost anywhere else in the world and you will find that the United States of America has got there before you. As a child of the 1970s and 80s, the America that made it to Middle England included the usual suspects, Michael Jackson and Madonna, LL Cool J and San Francisco 49ers, Mr. T and his A-team. As you can tell, I led a cultured childhood. <laughs> Along with this predictable hall of shame were, for the children in the Mannering household at least, various singer-songwriters from an era of my mother's liking. Under interrogation, I can most likely recite word for word lyrics of dozens of greatest hits by Neil Diamond and Jackson Brown with Supertramp and Paul Simon coming in a close second. America was everywhere. Hers were the people whose films were practically the only ones we wanted to watch and whose songs were the ones we most often tried, and in my case, failed to dance to. If the Union has 50 states, then the rest of the world is the 51st, or at least it seemed that way to me. One song from my mother's collection in particular, an American tune by Paul Simon. 
became for me something of a clarion call, sounded from the heart of what it meant to me, looking on from the outside in, to belong to such a place of fame and fantasy. If you know the song, you'll be aware that it speaks of the migrant's dream, which, although I didn't know it at the time, would become my own, of joining the great American mixed salad, and with it, the migrant struggle coming to the country in 1973 in what Paul Simon calls the age's most uncertain hour. Most uncertain, that is, until now, it would seem. It does feel that uncertainty is the disorder of the day, doesn't it? Not merely for America, as the country celebrates independence from that small island off the coast of France this Wednesday, but for the world well beyond our borders. We are in an age that questions who we are and how we might belong to our sister peoples around the world. Some wish to retreat from that world. Others wish to advance more deeply into it, and most of us are not quite sure what to make of it all. Yet we, like the singer-songwriters of yesterday, still sing, don't we? We sing of a God in Christ Jesus who extends a promise to the people of the earth that God will be our sure foundation, the ground upon which we might plant our hope, discovered not in abstract but in the embodied life of God that each of us is blessed to see in one another. And as such, it is a promise that speaks from the heart of our theology that in God there is always enough room, always hope enough to go around. That was certainly what the two contrasting characters we meet in Mark are counting on as they extend themselves to varying degrees of vulnerability before Jesus if only I can touch the hem of his garment. If only he, I ask him to lay his hands upon my daughter, then there may still be hope. The story of Jairus and the woman with hemorrhages is one that teaches us that God's is indeed an economy with room to spare. That the hope for healing is not one that trusts in a finite resource, but in an abundant wellspring of new life no matter who we are or why we are seeking such newness. One of the ways that Mark's story teaches us this foundational fact about God is in the contrast between the lives of the two people seeking the very same source of healing. Jairus' part seems straightforward enough. A father, desperate for his fast-ailing daughter, prepared to do anything, yeah, he is not just any father seeking healing. Jairus was locally at least a powerful man, one of the leaders of the synagogue, known and presumably respected. As such, with all of the social status he stands to lose, should Jesus come up short, Jairus is still prepared to place all his hope in public, out in the open, on Jesus Come and lay hands on her and she will be well, is all that he has to ask. No bargaining, no show of power, just faith. 
no less desperate, but much likely much less powerful, is the woman with 12 years of hemorrhages that have not healed, even though she'd spent all her means on physicians. How do we imagine her struggling through the crowd, convinced if she can just touch Jesus' clothing, she'd be made well? Some believe that her bleeding condition might have rendered her unclean in the eyes of others, pushed to the proverbial, perhaps even the literal edge of the community, having now to fight her way to a healing from the periphery in. Male and female, powerful and less so, a dispenser of what counts as religiously acceptable and a recipient of being deemed not. Yet both reach out to Jesus, both hope, And rather beautifully, as Jairus seemingly makes room for the woman with hemorrhages by not demanding that Jesus continue to his daughter while the woman steps onto the scene to gain her own wellness back. Each have space for one another to commune with the God that has space aplenty for them both. What do these Bible stories of old have to teach us today? do you think? Very clearly they challenge us as to where we might place our hope. As Christians, do we truly believe that Christ is our sure foundation? It's a beautiful hymn, but it's a tough ask at times, isn't it? Especially when we find ourselves in the valley of despair that our friends in Mark in particular are to be found in. Perhaps the greater challenge, though, is the way in which Jairus and the woman's sense of spaciousness for one another, a view of the world born in abundance, not scarcity, might prompt us to reconsider our answers to what is perhaps the greatest uncertainty of this uncertain hour, whether or not there is going to be room for us all in this world. I would like to believe that there is. My own immigrant's tale, as I would share it this morning, ends in a civic hall in downtown San Diego at the oath ceremony of which I became an American citizen. About halfway through, the judge invited participants from each of the countries of origin present to stand and be applauded. There were over 120 such countries represented And it took about 30 minutes for each of us, festooned in national costume and chatting to one another in an untold number of languages and dialects, to be asked to stand and be counted. In that moment, there was nowhere else on earth where I wanted to be more. For this was the kind of place I wanted to belong to, a promissory note I wanted to be part of making good on. The Christian hope is one that does indeed ask each person to stand and be counted. It is a way of life that counts everyone in. It was what Jesus' life represented and what Paul after him was at such pains to make clear that in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, 
No male, nor female, no rich, nor poor, no insider, nor outsider, just one new creation. This is our hope, a song we might sing from sea to shining sea.